If you'll take your Bibles and turn to 1 John, we're continuing our study in our vision and values, and so today we're going to be looking at the value of nurture, and then we have reaching next week, and then we'll be starting a study in First and Second Timothy, and so we'll be getting back to our normal routine, but um, today we're going to be talking about nurture and what does it mean, and so as you turn there, I want you uh, to see, first of all, verse 10, because this sets the context for the verses that come after. But this is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So the point of the passage is this. John is telling us what a true believer looks like. And the true believer is someone who is able to love his brother. Because if we say we um, love God, but we don't love our brothers, then we're a liar, it tells us. So it has to be that those who are of God, as they love God, they begin to love the people around them. And so that's the setting of the passage this morning. It's a test for us to understand who is of the faith and who is not. So I want you to hear these words from 1 John, starting at verse 11 through 20. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers, but whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again we come before you and Lord the Holy Spirit was a part of writing these words. And Father, we have that same Holy Spirit today, so we ask him to come and teach us the truth. Father, he would allow us to grasp and understand what it means to love one another just as Christ has loved us. So Father, do teach us this morning. Equip us, engage us. But Father, help us to look more like your son today. This we pray in his name and in the power of the Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. So the first thing that John does uh, quite often in his, in his passages, he goes from the negative to the positive. And so he starts off in this part of the passage by asking the question or telling us specifically, don't be like Cain. And so, guys, I don't have the clicker. There you go. So we have the way of Cain or we have the way of Christ. 
And so the way of Cain, um, what I want you to do is to turn back to Genesis chapter 4, because that's where we get to hear the story of Cain and Abel. And so in Genesis chapter 4, it says that Adam knew his wife, starting at verse 1, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and other fat portions. And the Lord had, regarded, had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. But the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desires for you, but you must rule over it. Then Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. So we have this passage that uh, John's marking is going back to. He says, don't be like Cain. And so we have to ask the question, what was going on? Because we have to recognize that there was a message of love that was from the very beginning of Scripture throughout all Scripture. It's always been about love, God being the perfection of that love. And so as we begin to look at that, we should also recognize that Adam probably told both sons how to approach God properly. So what was happening was you had uh, Abel who approached well before the Lord and gave the best that he had. But for some reason, Cain, and we're not exactly sure, but we seem to pick up from the past, is that Cain probably just bought some goods from the field, not the best. And so as they're before God, God um, rejects Cain's offering but receives Abel's offering. And so this starts to develop a jealousy going on between them. And so Cain starts to become jealous that his wasn't accepted, but his brother's was. And so God then responds to him, though. God, doesn't, God just doesn't throw him out because his, his offering wasn't good. He says, if you do well, then it'll be accepted. But if you don't do well, then I'm telling you, sin is crouching at your door and it seeks to devour you. And so here, Cain hears this rebuke from God and he doesn't, he doesn't listen to it. Instead, he allows his jealousy to continue to grow and he begins to hate his brother. And it exposes his heart. And he hated his brother so much that um, he was so overwhelmed with that hate that ultimately he murders him. And God tells us that evil hates righteousness. If you're a Christian, you've probably had an experience where you've had people just because you are a Christian and you're doing things well or doing things good or helping out with other people, people begin to hate you for that. I used to have some of my um, brother's friends, uh, when they knew that I became a Christian, um, and also a lot of times I don't like telling people what I do for a living because it begins to affect their actions around me. And it, it happens two different ways. And they say, well, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. Oh. So one of two things happen. 
Either the people that were cussing were just like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry, pastor. I need to clean up my language. I need to clean up whatever I'm doing. Or it goes to the extreme of the opposite way. Oh, you're a Christian? Then all my brother's friends began to cuss at me more. Because they so hated that I was the what? The goody good. Evil hates righteousness because it exposes their hearts. And so when, when um, Abel went and gave a proper um, offering to the Lord, it ticked Cain off. And he gets so mad, he hates his brother so much that he takes him out to talk to him. And while he's out there, he rises up against his own brother and murders him. And then you remember the question God asked him, where's your brother and how does he respond? Am I my brother's keeper? Now think about that. There's only four people in the world. Do you think God would have figured out? It's not mom and dad. So who? I don't know. Who killed Abel? Cain? And Cain is simply trying to to wash it away. And God says, there is a consequence to your actions. And the the, um, land is not going to produce for you like you think it should produce for you now. And the ground itself cries out because you have shed blood. And so there's consequences to our sin. And he was judged by God. But listen, 1 John is written to people like us, people in the church. So it's a warning for us of saying, hey, are you murdering other people? Maybe not physically, but are you murdering them with your words and with your thoughts? It's what Jesus talks about when he says, when you call someone a fool, you have murdered them in your mind. And so he brings a warning to us. and He says, be very careful. The church, be careful that you are not murdering like Cain did his own brother. And so he sets this tone of don't be like Cain, but then he tells us to be like the way of Jesus. Because he goes on to say that Jesus, he didn't take life. He doesn't murder in words and deeds. He gives life, and Jesus ultimately dies for our sin upon the cross. And so Jesus is a complete opposite, and he brings the gospel. And part of the emphasis of the gospel is that we might begin to love one another. You might not like like everybody around you, but we're called to love one another. And Christ comes and he gives his life. And what that does is it allows us to move from death to life. The world is always moving us towards death. It's always moving us towards self. It's always saying, take care of yourself. Forget about everybody else. The Bible switches and it says, hey, take care of everybody else. And in the process, you'll be taken care of. And so we're supposed to be moving towards life. And as we move towards life, we're supposed to love one another, which means we're supposed to love across our failures. We're supposed to love sacrificially. 
Well, how do we do that? The scripture is very clear. It says, lay down your life for your brother. So we are called to know, and this is where he doesn't just talk about love. He says, this is how you know what love is, that you would self-sacrifice, that you would lay down your life for others, just as Christ laid down his life for you which means that we need to love purposely. We need to go out and say, this is what love is. This is how I can love other people. Now, it's very easy. Listen, it's very easy to say that we love in words. And here's what I mean. Because I, a lot of times I think we, we think we love. There's a poem called You Are the One. It's a poem that I, I bring up at marriages a lot because it talks about these grandiose ideas. I would climb the highest mountain. I would swim the deepest sea. I would cross the greatest desert because you mean so much to me. And that's not exactly right, but it rhymes. But the point of this poem is I love you so much. I would go through all these great things to come and see you. But the little thing at the end um, where I saw it written out was the man said, Oh, and by the way, if it stops raining, I'll come over tonight. (laughs) So we boast in words. Words can be grandiose, and we can say we love in words. We're supposed to put that love into action. C.S. Lewis says this, we say that we love everybody in general, which means that's just an excuse for loving nobody in particular. That's true. But the opposite can also be true. People can say, well, I I hate youth ministry. And I say, so do I. But do you hate Abby Wilson? No, I love Abby Wilson. Do you pray for Abby Wilson? Of course I pray for Abby Wilson. Do you want Abby Wilson to succeed in life? Yes, I want Abby to succeed in life. Well, then you love youth ministry. See, quit talking about these broad general terms and begin to love each other by name. And put it into action. Be praying for one another. See, God gives us a standard, and we know it from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and it's kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at the wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now this, I know this passage gets put a lot to like weddings and marriages and stuff like that. This is God's way of love. It's his love that's patient and kind. 
He's the one who doesn't revel in bad things or wrongdoings. He's patient and he's kind. And he says, now go and do likewise. Love one another. And therefore, our action must bear the truth. Because again, we're not told just to love, just to love. We're told how to love in the book. Everything we do, all of our actions should be corresponding to the word of God. Again, I tell you constantly, we should be asking about every situation, not saying, is God okay with this or how far can I go and still be okay? It's, is God glorified by what I'm doing right now? And if you can't answer yes, then maybe it's no. But again, we should be asking the question, is God glorified and honored by what I am doing, by what I'm thinking, by what I am saying, by what I am watching, by what I'm reading, by what I'm putting on the computer? Is God glorified and honored? And if we can't say yes, then maybe it's sin. So he tells us, hey, we're supposed to lay down our lives. Well, we need to get practical because it says, it starts making a statement in here. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding to him. Now, again, we know that God forgives murderers. There are murderers who will be in heaven who have repented. Part of it is saying we need to live in practical ways. Look at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so a lawyer steps up and he's, he's trying to catch Jesus. And he says, what is, and Jesus returns to him, he says, what is written in law? How do you read it? And the man answered, the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, which of these threes do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now, again, I don't always like the passage because it's the religious leaders that get sold out here. Now, think about this because we all struggle, don't we? Don't you struggle when you come up to that street corner or that stop that traffic light and there's somebody holding their little sign and I'm just like dear God let the light turn please let it turn please let it turn please let it turn please don't let them come don't let them walk far enough as my car 
don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact. And I justify and I say, I, I'm not going to give them money because they're going to go buy drugs. They're going to go get drunk. It's like, turn the light so I can leave quickly. Ever been there? God, I don't want to help. What are those practical ways? And I'm not saying that you have to give to every person that shows a sign. But do we stop and pray and say, God, is this one I should? It's pretty easy to find out if they're really wanting money for drugs or something like that. If they say they want money for food, you ask them, hey, can I take you over here? and buy you a meal. You know pretty quickly if they're really hungry. But we need to make something that's very hard and bring it down and make it very practical. Because here's the process that happened with the Good Samaritan. He came close, but it says a very, very specific statement. He saw him. He saw him. Which means that we need to know each other. And it's not just the people that we meet out on the traffic light. It's do we know each other? Do we know each other's needs? And listen, it goes both ways. It really does go both ways because I I know that there are some people in here that are just like, I'm so happy to help. I just don't know who needs it. And there are others who are saying, I need help, but I'm too proud to ask for it. See, family becomes the place where it's okay to ask. It's okay to share. And if you're not the one, that's okay. But maybe you know someone who can. Maybe you know someone who can do. But we need to know each other. And it said when he came and he saw him, then he moved in action. He helped. He helped. And again, it's, it's easy for us to say, I, I want to help people. Big picture. I want to take care of the poor. Big picture. But who are we doing it to? How are we being the church? How are we giving with selfless generosity? And again, I know that's not easy. At least it's not easy for me. It's way easier for me to give my leftovers than it is to give my best. And God comes in and he says, Jeff, would you give everything for me? Well, God, you're meddling now. Because I want a comfortable God. But that's not the God we serve and it's not the God of the Bible. And I'm not saying he asked for everything all the time. But if he did, where's our heart? So he says we're supposed to lay down our lives for one another. 
And then he finishes the passage by telling us to love one another. Love one another. And again, it has to be an act of love. He tells us in the scripture, it's verse 10, you know want to know who a Christian is? Go watch the people who love other people. And not just people who love you. Not just when it's easy to, to give a gift, and you know how this happens too. Someone gives you a gift at Christmas, and you forgot them on your list, and you're like, uh-oh. So we always buy extra chocolates just in case. Go wrap that up. If you're really bad, you re-gift something. I didn't like this anyway. So we get caught up in that, right? But we're called to love and action, and it's a genuine understanding of who we are as a Christian because it means that we love one another because the gospel's in our lives, which means that, again, we have to make sure that this relationship's right so these relationships become right. Because if I'm not spending time with the Lord, if I'm not understanding what it means to sacrifice myself every day on a cross, then I definitely don't want to sacrifice for you on a cross. So we love God with our whole heart and our mind and our strength, and then we love the people around us the same way. But there is something we need to listen to because there is a condemning heart in some of us. What do I mean by that? I mean, it gets hard in church. If you've been in church for any number of years, you have been hurt by someone else. You've been disappointed. You have felt lonely. You have felt forgotten. Someone's attacked you. Someone has maligned you. Now, even in the family of God, why does God allow this? Have you ever asked that question? Why does God allow this? I think one of the reasons is this, because we as Christians are called to love across our failures. When we love people and all their failures, it shocks the world. And so we love in spite of the hurts. 1 Corinthians 13 doesn't say, hey, forgive those once they've asked for forgiveness, does it? It doesn't say be nice to them once they start being nice to you. He calls us to go and to take the first step, to love the way that Christ loves us. And so we need to put it into practice because we do have doubts and we do have discouragement, and so we begin to harden our hearts, don't we? I do. Do you begin to doubt God's love? I do. So what, what's the emphasis at the end of this passage? Did you see it as we read it? God is greater than your heart. Your heart condemns you. Listen, it, it, again, I can... The elders can beat themselves up. I can beat myself up. There's always one more phone call, always one more email to send, always one more meal to have someone over or to take out to dinner or something. There's always one more. There's always one more person to meet, always one more person. 
So how dare I go home and sit in my lounge chair and turn on the TV? Stinking evil pastor. No. I am not anybody's savior. The elders aren't anybody's savior. But we all called to love one another. And so you know what happens when the Holy Spirit begins to move in all of us. It might not be that I have to go do something with Stu. Or maybe the Holy Spirit starts to make us and, and have a connection. And since we're both introverts, we'll go out and we'll sit and we'll stare at each other for hours. And I'll go home to my extroverted wife and she'll say, how was your time with Stu? And I said, it was great. What did you talk about? Nothing. What did you guys fix? Nothing. Well, then what did you all do? We sat and we watched TV together and we chatted a couple times and it was a great day. It's okay. Introverts are people too. But that's where God begins to move. And again, as we begin to pray and say, God, you set the tone. You set the ministry. God answers. And God never fails. So allow God to be greater and let you come into your heart so that you can love the unlovable. So that's the question. That's the practical of putting theology into practice. Who are you loving? Who are you loving? I'm sure he'll show up and tell you which way to go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, all of us can definitely say we've become hardened, we've been hurt, have felt lonely. Lord, even in this church, churches around the world, but yet, Father, you give us that great example that you laid down your life. You gave us self-sacrifice to pay for our sins upon the cross and to give us your righteousness. And so, Father, call us to live the same way, that we would die to ourselves, that we would give of ourselves away to others around us, and not just to our family, not just to our friends, but to our church. And, Father, where it's really hard to people who hate us, allow us to love the way that Christ loved us. And so, Father... Do change our hearts, equip us, allow us to grow deep in your love and the knowledge of who you are so that we will never stray, so we will never become vindictive, so we would never become a part of trying to hurt others. But Lord, that we would say the way that you did and the way that Stephen did, that the way that so many people in history have said to the people that were even killing them, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Lord, let us love that way, practically, every day. For this we pray in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.
Let's stand together as we sing in response to what.